seriously kidnap people at this point. I have not talked to anyone I have not given birth to in so long that I am like so socially inept at the moment. So thank you. I, I mean, like, you know, like I live in Wisconsin, so there's just like weeks where the only time I'll go outside is to get food. I can't even it. imagine that. Like, I, I live in, like, I'm not kidding you. I'm in California, yeah. and it was 77 right. degrees yesterday. Like, it was creepy hot. Like, I'm wearing this super lightweight, like, T-shirt, yeah. and we're hot. And it's February. If that doesn't creep everyone out, I don't know what does. But, like, I can't imagine, like, the snowbound stuff. And with chronic illness, snowbound stuff is yeah insane. I mean, we've actually had a really warm winter. I wore sandals last week because it was, it was 45 degrees, and I wore sandals. Okay, y'all in the Midwest yeah. have, like, I don't know, so sort of superpower that us little weaklings in California just, no. <laughs> funny. I was like, get the Birkenstocks. Oh my god. My daughter's best friend is from Iowa and she laughs at us over winter break. She's like, yeah, it's 50 degrees, right? That's shorts weather. I don't know what y'all are doing in your like jackets and scarves. (laughs) Oh my god. So we were going to discuss infantilizing, which means like treating someone like a child with chronic illness, but we, <laughs> I'm going to tangent. I can't help it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so punch drunk. <laughs> this is what two sick kids for one week will do to me. I have no brain cells. It's, um, yeah, it's one thing you're trying to take care of yourself and keep your own doctor appointments steady, but when you're trying to, like, make health decisions for two other people and, like, yeah. So you're going to have to carry me on this interview is basically what I was trying to come down to. <laughs> okay, I can do that. I can do that. What's our conversation? There we go. We can do this. I'm sure we have plenty to discuss. I mean, I was just going to like start in with the lovely fact that whenever I'm in a wheelchair, everyone talks to my husband. Oh, yes. That's, one. Yeah, that's one of my favorites is like, how's she doing? <laughs> I'm sorry. Does what? she need help getting in the building? Or like... <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with those comments. <laughs> like, do you want me to discuss that your building is not ADA compliant? Do you want me to discuss that I'm a person who can express myself? Like, So we could start there if you wanted to start with that, or we could start with anything. I mean, I yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely think we should talk about that, but um, I, was, I was thinking about, I knew we were going to have this conversation, so I was like kind of keeping a check personally of like, how I was being treated in, like, public place. And I've had an issue at the local airport for years now that when I – and it's a very small airport, so I know the staff. Like, I kind of recognize them because I, I fly a lot. And every time I go through the um, the body scanner, there's been multiple times where they say to me, are you at least 12 years old? Oh. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm 26 years old. Why would a 12-year-old be wearing, like, leather pants and eyeliner? That's really weird. Okay, no, my child would do that if I if I had all had leather pants in the house. My 12-year-old would do that in a heartbeat. I'm <laughs> not even playing. No, no, no trying to talk down what your experience is. I'm just oh, saying 12-year-olds right now. There are some very stylish kids, right? Seriously, the ugly phase that I went through at 12 just does not exist in this Instagram world. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, my, my niece is pretty like, fantastic. So, so I go through this security, you know, and I was like, this is, you know, weird. Um, so that always happens to me, and I kind of just laugh about it, but it also, like, really bothers me because it keeps happening. Um, and it happens at other airports. But so I was coming back from England um, a couple weeks ago, 
And for, I have, um, I have seven tattoos, but most of them aren't visible, but I just got a visible, I have visible ones on my arms now. Mm -hmm. Right. So I purposely was like, come to see if they asked me. So I wore a t-shirt going through security because I was like, all right, 12 year olds don't have tattoos. I'll see that ass ones, Mike. (laughs) Maybe, but like, probably not. (laughs) And sure enough, it did work. Okay. And they, they didn't ask me that time, so I was like, I was like yeah, I shouldn't have had to do that. Um, it's also, like, concerning because they asked me after I go through security. So I'm like, I already did the part that I needed parental consent for, and then you asked me if I can consent. That's concerning. It was very concerning. I actually, I talked to one of the airports about it, and I was like, your security people need to check this sooner or something. Um... But it was, like, an interesting way of thinking, all right, like, what are the, the signifiers that mark someone as older? Is mark someone as, like, they can consent? Mm. Right? So it's, like, the wheelchair makes that void for you, apparently. The wheelchair makes almost, like, at the the um, airports, is like, I get, like, pretty much my yearly gynecological exam at the airport when I go through with my wheelchair. It's, like, <laughs> I feel like I need to be asked out for dinner, maybe, like, consent becomes a whole new thing, like. Mm. And I mean, I know I'm being kind of funny about it, but it gets no, embarrassing yeah. and it's like, yeah. it's, um, what are you going to say? No, like, <laughs> right. exactly. It's, it's the ultimatum. It, it is. And it's public. And like, you know, I've had sexual assault issues, so it's really weird for me to be standing somewhere with someone's hand up my bra while, and I'm not kidding, like up my bra while people are like walking around while my child is watching. And like, <laughs> then they make you try, if you can stand at all, you have to stand. Um, I make them go to put my um, canes through first while I'm sitting in the wheelchair and then I can use my canes to stand, but it's really painful. And yeah. then they're like all over you. And it's, I don't know what about being in a wheelchair, having canes just signals you as you are obviously going to be a very big problem at the airport, but yeah, you're a threat, right? I, I mean, if anyone's like watching this, I could not look more like a soccer mom. If I tried, I am basically a Disney version of a soccer mom. And, um, <laughs> right. Like I cannot, like, I can't do intimidating. I've tried. It does not work. Um, That's so it's amazing, strange, right? Because, like, airports are so famous for profiling people. Yeah. But right? I never, I never have security <laughs> issues. But my dad, my dad is, like, big scary man. He has very tan skin. He looks a little bit Arab. He is always the first one pulled aside. Oh, my God. It's... <laughs> like, they profile me. They're like, yeah, I got through with that. With, I once had well, you're 12, knife. so... It's... I had a steak knife in my backpack once because it fell out of my lunchbox. Oh, my God. And it went through security, and they let me through with the knife. And I was like, you never should have done that. You should have pulled me aside. <laughs> like, that's not okay. So, I'm like, why is the wheelchair user being profiled in this way? It, it's it's really intense. And they don't really ask a lot of questions. You know, I'm, I'm probably... Go- the way I'm going to die is I'm going to say the wrong thing to the wrong person in a snarky way. So, I'm, like, trying to make conversation because yeah. they're, like, really doing medical exams at that point. I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> crazy yeah. um yeah it's just it's a very weird experience and it is in a lot of ways like feeling like I'm a kid again because there's this figure of authority and there's nothing I can say to that figure of authority right to get through where I need to go it's kind of like you just have to play that game and it's really awful like <laughs> it's a very strange you know place to be when you're in your 40s to suddenly like not have any authority here Right. And, like, no bodily autonomy. And I think we can go into that with medical procedures, too, because that's the ultimate in, like, 
pat on the head and be a good girl or be a good boy or be a good person and be a good yeah. child and sit still and just let this happen. It is. And I think, um, part of it too, that I'm, I'm thinking about now with you is like, um, you know, it's not just, um, it's not as easy as, you know, if, you know, people with chronic illness or especially people with like, mental illness or um, mental disabilities or um, neurodivergent are seen as like an eternal child. Yeah. Or forever child in many ways. Right? That's kind of a, a popular myth. And, you know, as you're saying, it's not just that people view us that way at times. It's also that they make us play to that rule in those very various social cues. So it's like we kind of have to live up to that stereotype in order to what you said, like, I need to get medical care. <laughs> yeah, I need to get on this plane. I already paid, you know, so much money for the ticket. I need to get on this plane. Um, or you know, there even I think are like professional situations where you kind of like, when do I just kind of grin and bear it? <laughs> there's just a huge thing about the. There's a disability conference. I'm going to blank on where it was, but the Twitter storm was real with um, them not having. Uh, accessibility for wheelchair users who are panelists to oh. get up onto the yep. stage. Yeah. I think it was AWP. Thank you. Yes. That was yes. a mess a few years back. Was that because um, I feel like it was just a few minutes ago that I saw that on Twitter, but uh, a memory. It might have been another one, and I wouldn't have doubted it. Yeah, they don't seem to learn any time soon. But another thing we could also discuss is that there are a lot of the times people in our lives who need us to stay childlike. Like, I know oh, that there absolutely. are definitely people in my life who feel a lot more comfortable if I, if there's certain aspects of my life I hand control over to. Oh yeah, like I always I say to my friends and I say to my family like in a joking but also in a serious way. Why is it that all of my nicknames for for me all have to do with my size? Oh, it's not like oh. little. Like little is one of my like constant nicknames. Like various friend groups have called me that like throughout the years, and I'm just like. Yeah, okay, I get it. Very funny, but I also have a million other qualities that are totally overlooked here, right? <laughs> this is the one you're harping on. You make such a good highlight on, like, what are the qualifiers of, like, what do we see ourselves as, and how does that actually, you know, like, oh, God, my poor brain. It's just chasing around an idea. It's the saddest thing to see the inside here. Um, but how we're... I'm sorry, my, my brain's gone. But the basic idea was like, what what qualifies us as adults? Like, what what are the traits that make us functional? Like, is it that we can remember our appointments? Is it that we can remember to pay the bills? Is it that like what <laughs> my last interest in fairy tales does not seem to do it? So what what is it? Temporary too, right? I'm never an adult for so long, right? Or it's like, when does someone want to see me as an adult? Mm-hmm. So um, a great thing happened a few months back where I was I was in a bar and I was already in the bar and one of the bouncers came up to me and he was like an older man I'm gonna say you know if I had to guess I'd say he's like forties or whatever um, and he came up to me and he started talking to us and and he was like well how old are you and my friend loved her to death she goes she's seventeen and she's not interested oh that's cute. <laughs> That's adorable. Like, thank you. And he immediately like backed off because he was like, "That's illegal," and then walked away. 
that's that's what I was like, I'm very glad to look younger. Thank you for that. You just took 10 years off my life, but it's fine. Uh, oh, my right? God. And that was a moment where I could see him, like, working it out of his head. Well, like, oh, she could be this all. Like, she could be, you know, legally consenting. And he didn't question how, like, a 17-year-old was in a bar. But I guess that's not really that weird, you know. I, I've lived a very boring life. I <laughs> was not and, that interesting yeah. at 17. <laughs> It can't be that weird, yeah, to America. Um, but it was just one of those funny moments where I was like, you would, you know, like to see me as older than I, than I look right now. Or like, what, if someone wants to put responsibility on you and work, you're not a child. You are a laborer. You are paid. You are an adult. <laughs> My um, oldest just became a legal adult and um, is working full time, but there's a very clear division, um, especially here in the United States, between people who are hired for their abilities and then the people who are hired for their physical presence. And if you're yeah. sick and you're hired for your physical presence, they don't care. Um, you have to be at work, even if yeah. you have surgery, even if you need to have surgery, you cannot take a day off. Like, it's... Um, yeah, no, we just got away from that that topic, but um, it's it's very interesting to see how how different it is. Yeah, that is a great point. It's like you're totally just kind of um, reduced to being that body. Yeah, it's and that's yeah. yeah. We can absolutely go with um, what it's like when your body is not functioning, and yeah, and no one can. Um, can see that or this just doesn't even register no and going to the infantilizing um the child likeness yeah. it's one of the biggest um reality slams in my face was i worked from the time i was 13 i've mm -hmm. always been independent and to yeah. go to a very different role as i got sick and had to go on disability and then this one thing that was always like defying to me if that's adult that's responsibility I didn't have it anymore. I don't have a job. I don't bring income home to my family. And it's, yeah. it's gotta be one of the biggest like head trips for me is that mm -hmm. that one big aspect of adulting I don't have anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally, now I can absolutely see that. I'm trying to think now of not only when people label me as an adult, but when I feel like the most like an adult. <laughs> and you know, really like one of the biggest shifts for me has been, I always relied on someone to bring me to doctor's appointments. And the last couple of years, I've just, I don't want to go with anyone. Mm. So if I can, I will just go alone. I'll, you know, I'll take an Uber. I'll take a bus. I don't care. Because um, I just, you know, having someone waiting for me outside, having someone, you know, ask me about my test results. You know, my mother would always try to come in the room with me and I would be like, no. Can I just do this one part, please? You know, the part about my entire bodily history. Um, and Oh, yeah. Right? And, like, going to the doctors is already totally infantilizing, already, you know, taking away everything you got. Um, so for me, that's been, like, the one thing where I'm like, look it, I'm such an adult. I can take care of myself. I, I'm so jealous right now. I have to have someone drive me to all my doctor's appointments, and it's always my mom, and to, like, it's really screwed up our dynamic as far as like, I am a 40 something year old mm -hmm. adult and I've raised kids. I've run businesses. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I've lived, I, I feel yeah. like I've gone through all the steps and all of a sudden I'm down to being 16, having the same like run through circular conversations on, did I do this? Well, right. shouldn't I have done that? And when that have made it like, it's, it's this mm -hmm. constant justification of, also justification of mood, like someone's doing me a favor, so I better be oh, in no. her sing for my supper. <laughs> right. 
Right, exactly, right? And you're like, you're at the doctor's, you're pissed off, you probably just experienced some ableism, you don't want to be there. I mean, if I'm there, it's I, I don't go because my insurance is so awful. I financially I can't do it anymore. The only thing I go for is to relocate a bone. I can't relocate myself, so I'm in agony. And I was trying to Uber because um, I couldn't get a ride, and the yeah. Uber cost would have been eighty dollars. Yeah. And I was like, I can just take extra painkillers. I'll deal. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And that's yeah. Because I think that's the other thing though, is yeah. Well it's just yeah, Uber I, has like their yeah. wheelchair accessibility thing, but it is not their right. cheapest option. So you like, yeah. which seems against ADA. Like if you have a theater ticket in your wheelchair, they give you the cheapest price and they give you a seat that you can mm -hmm. see from. And like it seems really weird that that Uber is able to skirt that and still charge more instead of subsidizing this. Like, I, I don't think that the, the driver should have to carry this burden, but Uber is a multi-billion no. dollar company that should be subsidizing this. Yeah, it, it needs to be controlled and regulated in some ways. I mean, the Uber surcharges in general are terrible. Mm -hmm. um, the other night, it was lightly, lightly snowing in Wisconsin, where it snows all the time. And a usually with a $12 Uber, drive, Uber ride from the airport to my house, Whose quote was twelve dollars was sixty. Oh my god! <laughs> and you live in Wisconsin, you can't drive in this much snow. And it was just like, oh, but what they were capitalizing on was it's a little bit icy. People aren't going to want to walk. Let surcharge. Okay, but what? Yeah, and then what about the people who are using canes or walking aids or who are in, unstable on their feet and like right. this is. Not, yeah. yeah, not even accounted for, right? The people that would regularly need even more support at that time. I, I have so many issues with Ubers. So yes, yeah. <laughs> but I was just looking at, um, today the Mighty just put out an article, and I, I'm going to go on another tangent, but I just kind of feel like it's important. Um, they put out an article today with a young um, person who uses a wheelchair. I'm guessing by, she was mentioning pounds, so I'm guessing somewhere in England, um, but there was no accessibility to her classes. And I just did an oh. interview with someone who had to use a wheelchair, and she's a teacher, and she's like, the accessibility is impossible for me. I don't know how the students are doing it. And it's like, we keep talking, especially in this country, about for the kids, save the kids. Like, everything is, like, trotting these children out, yeah. and then we're refusing to create accessible spaces where people who are disabled can get an education. College campuses are some of the worst. We're going to um, my, my littlest. I know this awful. For, I called her that for so long. I don't know how to not. After you just said that, I'm going to work on a new nickname. Um, <laughs> I will work on this. Uh, the funny thing is she's almost <laughs> taller than I am now, so I've got to really work on a new one. Um, she wants to go to Oxford, so we're visiting the campus, and I was like, okay, what do I do with my wheelchair? And everyone I've talked to is like, you are screwed. I, I'm a doctor. You did? Oh, my God. we got to talk after this. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was But I'm like, so what do disabled people who go to Oxford do? Like, how do you get to your classes? How do you, like, we've definitely done interviews on this campus, on this um, show with people who are students who are like, I've had to leave college because there was no access and no understanding yeah. of my, my situation. I mean, there might be, like, honestly, I mean, like, it's a, you know, huge group of colleges, I think, 38 colleges. Yeah, we're, we're, we're putting together our plans. We're, we're going there very, okay. very, very soon. <laughs> yeah, I want to say that, honestly, like, just thinking, I think there's usually, like, one more modern or newer building per each college, where mm -hmm. I'm guessing, I don't know how they would coordinate to have, like, all of their classes in there, 
But there's also just the issue that many times, because it's such a green space, yeah. Um, this, there's times where there's like not foot paths or the foot paths are just covered in mud, and like sometimes you just have to walk on the grass to get to your classes, or you have to go all the way around the entire building. And good luck without a power wheelchair. Good luck with oh, yeah. a power wheelchair, but without, oh my god. And everything has like a fob access, um, and it's just like very inconvenient. Like there's just. I know it's just like a safety thing to get onto each campus, but it's also very inconvenient for like an able person. Like I don't have mobility issues and I had trouble just getting around. It just took forever. Um, and I did not, um, I don't remember seeing like any accessible bathrooms. So I would maybe, I would contact before and find out about that. Yeah. Would... We're definitely going to have to have some, some planning. I mean, I'm very lucky that I'm what's called an ambulatory wheelchair user, which means that mm -hmm. The majority of my wheelchair use is to keep me safe because my heart rate changes, I faint, um, I dislocate any bone at any time. Um, so a lot of it is, so what we're planning on is just tons of painkillers and I use my canes so I use those a lot too. Um, but we're going to use the wheelchair in London just to, to keep me safe and able to yeah. to get around. But it just, you know, I was just reading through the article like, yeah, this is... Our high schools are not accessible. Um, my child's middle school certainly is not accessible. The grade school was, I could, couldn't could barely get on the campus for the graduation. Yeah. Have I, um, I don't know if you had, had seen this story. I've been talking about it publicly. Right, well, first, you know, we're talking about this. Um, we always talk about for the kids, you know, because of the future. Mm -hmm. uh, and in childhood studies, um, there's been a, a long kind of interrogation of that question of kids are the future, but it's, it's a certain kid, right? <laughs> it's a white, affluent, you know, able-bodied, heterosexual kid. Like, that's the future that we're working towards here. Um, that, that's who we're doing it for, and the rest are left in the dust. Even that is, like, questionable. I, I think that there's this mythology of, um, and even down to how we create our laws, like, just watching the yeah. laws go through and where I live is very much under the assumption that children have adults who have their best interest at heart. And that's, oh, right. even for affluent children, is not always true. I mean, you remember, I think you're, you're of an age where you probably went through um, financial aid recently. And I remember being shocked that uh, my parents, even though I was an adult, my parents' income decided my financial aid. I was like, well, what if my parents disowned me? Like, yeah. they didn't, but what if they did? You know, it was... Yeah, it was very strange to to realize just how um, how yeah. we create this mythology of every child has someone who's you know in charge of them who has their best absolute interest at heart, and so we create laws that are based on that idea and policies on that idea. It's very it's wrong. Very much like um, it reminds me of two things. It reminds me one of the um, the pro choice slogan that's like you want to save kids until they're born, mm. and you don't want to deal with them anymore. Like, that's the government we're setting up. Um, and it also reminds me of, um, what was it you had just said? Um, I think uh, my name's Monica. That's as far as my brain goes today. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, there was something, too, about um, disability there. Um It'll come back to me. I mean, one thing uh -huh. I do want to just like say is I used to work in very affluent areas. I I was a nanny in affluent areas when I was, that's how I put myself through school. 
And some of the gravest amount of child abuse I saw was in those communities. Not to say all, not to say if you're rich, you're a bad parent. All I'm saying is, is like in those communities of incredible levels of wealth, the amount of like what would be called child abandonment anywhere else um, was common Mm -hmm. and extreme. And I, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it, it's just interesting how we, we all do that. But as far as us being disabled and uh, patted on the head, I'm really stuck between that I need more of it and I hate it. Because, and, yeah, yeah, like I'm just trying to explain to like, you know, when I'm trying to work with someone who needs to help me, it's like, okay, I understand you're doing everything you can here and I'm not getting it. Like my brain goes into a rabbit hamster trying to eat its own tail and I don't know what anyone's saying anymore. And like, trying to explain to someone like, okay, you're going to have to break this down like I'm an idiot. Like you have to like take this all the way yeah. down for me. Yeah. Like, yeah. like don't assume anything about my intelligence level right now because I don't have one. It's three mm-hmm. o'clock PM and I haven't had my painkillers yet. I, I don't have anything for you. Yeah. Please talk down to me. And then I hate it when people talk down to me. It is such an awful. Right. I'm, I'm the same way. Like I just sometimes am very sensitive to sounds. I'm like, I need sunglasses. I need mm. big ones. I need you to get away from me for all day. And then people will come over. Oh, are you okay? Do you need to go outside? Yeah. Just please. Like, I will tell you, I can communicate those needs. Don't communicate them for me. So it it is that hard balance. Um, And what made me think of um, this, I think this is an understated connection between both kids um, and disabled people, is that there is both the assumption that I think we take kids for granted a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think that gets into the abuse issue. Especially, um, you know, the more I, you know, associate with my um, niece and nephew, the more I realize how smart they are, how much we need to believe them more, Mm -hmm. right? Um, They're always kind of just considered lesser. And I think it is built on that myth, the same with disabled people, also taking care of them. Yeah. That's like when people are like, why do you need the ADA? You could just be nice to disabled people, which is a serious argument that happens. Oh, can we just discuss really (laughs) quickly my favorite, the libertarian argument if they're not treating you nicely, just don't use them. And that will just, you know, let the market correct itself. It's like, that doesn't work. I will never be able to get groceries. I will never be able to get to a doctor or a hospital. Like, there are some things that we just have to decide. We've... I wait six months for one doctor. Mm-hmm. I'm going to die if I have to wait another six months. Like, that is the reality, right, for many people. I Just saying, like, my physical therapist, who's one of my favorite humans yeah. on the face of the earth... That office, um, which unfortunately she had to rent, does not have wheelchair accessible bathrooms. So you have to plan. And I'm like, well, I only go once a week. What about people who work here? Like, yeah, that's um, it's a whole office suite. It's like this giant city of offices and not one of them has an accessible bathroom. Right. And what's amazing to me is that, like, we communicate these needs, right? Mm -hmm. Like always saying, like, these things need to change and not just for me, but for other people. Right? It's not just my access needs. Other people have these, and other people will have these. Yeah. Uh, and it's almost like we're not believed, or it's just, like, discredited. And it just reminds me very much of how easily, like, kids are discredited for the stories they tell or the things they say they need. Like, it's always, like, if a kid's crying and you can't immediately figure out what it is, they must be faking. Oh, God. And, like, right, and sometimes they are. Like, sometimes my niece is, like, faking crying. But I'm like, she's faking crying because she's still upset about something. Yeah. 
There's like, a reason for it. On. Yeah, figure out the reason. Like, like yeah, right? It's like, people don't want to self-evaluate, or they don't want to change their ways. Often, they don't want to change their ways. Or there's nothing that can be done. I mean, we were just, we're dealing with yeah. a kid here who, you know, there was, there's definitely something going on at home, but it was like, mm. if we call facilities, that kid gets removed and put into a foster system that might be way worse. So it's yeah. like, it's the same thing with like, you know, there's a lot going on here where it's like there's problems, but we as a society have not decided to solve them. And a lot of the problems we have are so much bigger than what a person can do. Right. Our government was supposed to step in and protect. Like there are definitely things that the government was supposed to be in charge of and to handle because it's too much for one person. You know, there's, there's no legal way to handle these things. Yeah. I I definitely think it's, it's like that. It's like we've built up that that narrative of a safety net for everyone that doesn't exist. No. And it's still, and if, you know, you don't have the safety net, then the onus of your responsibility is still on the parent or still on the disabled person to work harder to overcome it. And I think one of the reasons, um, you know, I'm kind of critical about this, that we love these, you know, um, love these news stories of it's like, kid with a disadvantaged background gets into Harvard. Like, they love that story. Inspiration porn. <laughs> it's inspiration porn, and everyone, oh, like, goes nuts over it without wanting to look at why it's inspirational. It's inspirational because it almost never happens, and there's a system mm-hmm. that ensures it almost never happens, and no one wants to look at that system. You know, like, the kid who got this the walker amazing. built at Home Depot, that's a dystopian yeah. nightmare story. That is, like, yeah. yay that there's people who are better than the government, but mm-hmm. <laughs> that's highlighting a dystopian issue like that's right there was one recently that it was like someone was like it was like you know um it's like teenager makes a wheelchair ramp for his grandmother out of legos and you're like that's amazing why the fuck wasn't there a ramp mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah why was kid in school why did he have to do that like there's so many questions there are a <laughs> lot yes and like you know there should never be a moment where we don't go that kid's amazing, or that person is awesome. Cheers for like really hitting the height there of being a good person. Mm-hmm. But we also have to look over towards the system that made that thing that was their problem and go, okay, so good job. Now you've illustrated what needs to happen. Let's make sure this happens for everyone who isn't lucky enough to have you in their life. Like, right. right. And that's, I think that's where the, the moment, too, is where it's, like, we like to see those kids have adult qualities. Yeah. It's, like, they like like kids, but they expect us to be able to turn into adults, to take responsibility when we need to, to take initiative when we need to, um, you know, to um, thinking of other things. Like, um, even to, like, apply to things. I have a lot of students come up to me. And they're, you know, in, in undergrad students. So they're like 20 and some of them are thinking about grad school and they're like, how do you apply for grad school? And I'm like, did you go to like the advising office? And they're like, yeah, they didn't help me because they're so swapped, right? It's like such an underfunded office. They can't help, you know, 40,000 kids or whatever. Um, so they come to me and then I help them and they're like, you know, how do people apply to grad school? And I'm like, most people have zero help and they totally do it themselves. And it's because, like, oh, it's, well, by the time you're 22, 21, you shouldn't have been able to figure this out. Well, I'll throw in um, applying for disability. Uh, if oh, there's ever yes. a more psychotic process that you have to be on your game and healthy and together and adult, 
it's applying for disability. Like that is yeah. one of the most insane experiences I've ever gone through. And it's amazing because um, you've probably seen this. This is like popular on Twitter, but I've heard it in like you know in conversation too, where a disabled person is complaining about something. Oh, I can't you know afford this. I can't do that. And they're like, why do you just want disability? Yeah, because that's just like, easy. No problem. It can take people between one month, three years to get approved. And they might wait three years and not get approved. Um, there's also that you can't earn money during that time. So yeah. if you are not privileged, if you don't have a support network, um, I know someone who's homeless because of this. Like, Yeah. Um, and then a lot of people have to hire lawyers, which <laughs> don't know how anyone affords that. I didn't have to. I was tremendously lucky that one of my disorders was on the list, which basically just was like, okay. <laughs> Right. Done here. Um, so I was fundamentally lucky and privileged, and I still couldn't have any money coming in, I think, for nine months. So that really screwed up our finances. But I was one of the privileged, fortunate people. Like, <laughs> But it yeah. is an insane process where you're like, I'm proving to you I physically and emotionally and mentally cannot work. I cannot do it. Um, but you're asking me to do almost 30 to 40 hours of work a week to get my case together. So I have to be on this huge game to prove to you that I'm adult enough to get this together. Otherwise, I'm mm -hmm. obviously faking and not doing the right thing. But I'm also proving to you right. I'm not capable of working. It's it's one of the craziest experiences. There's uh, Whoever designed this obviously does not understand disability or people. <laughs> No, no, yeah. no, it's that performance. And I mean, it's like this with so many government application processes mm -hmm. where I'm like, you'd have to take a class to learn mm -hmm. how to do this right. Yeah. Yeah, the bureaucracy is real. Mm -hmm. um, I just put pulling like, together like taxes and she's saying. Citizenship is. Oh my God. Um, any of you I'm, who are going through citizenship, I bow down to you, you brave, amazing people going through one of the worst systems I've ever heard of. I'm compassion yeah. the, the fact that almost none of us could pass that test who were born here should say a lot like no and not to mention they don't have translators at every single office right there are you know these offices are underfunded i've had students that have um had to become like i mean extremely proficient and fluent in english extremely fast just so they could translate for their parents so they could become citizens i mean so these kids are taking a second job just to do that right and then like let's move this yeah. over to disability towards people who are deaf who are um who are blind who have to have like so much of their world filtered through another person to get yeah. the input that they need like i am not deaf i am not blind um so please if you have more to add to that conversation just send me an email because <laughs> i really want more yeah. voices on this but yeah um it's just, I don't like anything filtered for me. I want to experience as much as I can firsthand. So I can only imagine the, that, that would be frustrating, at least for what I would feel. Yeah. Aren't even thinking like, you know, imagine you, um, did you have to have an interview for disability? Yes. Well, <laughs> they tried to fob me off, um, to a phone interview, oh, wow. okay. which they're like, no, it's the same exact, it's video. It's totally fine. And then someone told me, do not do that. Do not make them see you. So I refused and made them do the appointment anyway. And then I found out like about, and I was barely sitting up, like I was in so much pain. I was crying and the lady was like, didn't even have the right folder in front of her. I figured that out like about 20 minutes in and she had no idea what I was dealing with. She was just like writing out things and 
at the yeah. end. And she's like, okay, I'm all done. I'm like, mm, how about we just go over really quick what my day is? Can you give me 10 minutes? And we'll just go through from morning to night. And I'm just going to explain what all of these things are that happen. And mm -hmm. you just write that down. Okay, can we do that? And she's like, yeah, I guess so. About when I got to noon, she had her mouth open. Her eyes were like dinner plates. She's like, okay, I had no idea. I'm like, well, it's all in my file. Like, we had yeah. doctor's notes. We had surgery notes. We had, like, it looked like war and peace. Yeah. And she hadn't read through yeah. any of it. They were just going to, like, throw it through the system. And I'm really glad I walked. I didn't walk in. I used my wheelchair. But I was, you know, like, I'm glad I was present um, and accounted for. But if that wasn't one of the most, like, and my mom was there. So I felt like I was, like, five trying to explain. Yeah. And having someone else go, oh, but but wasn't this true? Wasn't this true? Yeah. I'm like, Right? Yeah. You're just making a, you have to make an argument for like why you, you need all this help, like why you're vulnerable, why you're dependent in these ways, which like there's nothing wrong with a force needing help and like being vulnerable, but it's still a socially shamed condition and like, you know, you can't de-internalize that. No, and the assumption is is that I am happier not working. <laughs> like, yeah. I would almost sell my soul to work. Like, are you kidding? <laughs> I, the, the idea that this makes me happier or that I have a more fulfilled or easy life, um, it, it's, uh, yeah, that's that's a hard one. Is there just this baseline assumption that I'm guessing that some people who are in privilege enjoy not being useful because I can't think of another way that there's just this assumption that there's these groups of people who are like, I'd rather just not contribute. I'd rather just sit and do nothing. It's like, I don't know anyone in my life who feels like that beyond two days. Like, two yeah. or three days, sure, I can watch daytime TV. That's fine. But after two or three days, I need purpose. And that's one of our hierarchy of needs is purpose. So it's so weird to me that there's this idea that, like, that just skips out on disabled people, that we don't need purpose. It's it's, it's the purpose. And it's also, too, that, like... um I mean, it feeds into, I think, adjacent figures, um, like the myth of the welfare queen. It's also, you know, like how like racialized welfare is. Like, I think there's a lot of adjacent, adjacent figures that we can think about in regard to disability of how these, um, how these stereotypes and images get, you know, kind of mapped onto things. I just think there. that anyone who takes a certain level tax break needs to give a drug sample. If they're going to require these drug samples for people on welfare, I want the places and people who are taking massive tax breaks to give drug samples to prove that they deserve these tax breaks. That that's that's corporate yeah. welfare. I mean, we are paying for Walgreens or Walgreens for Walmart to exist. Like, I want these companies to yeah. be shamed because they can't afford to. <laughs> if I have to go that through shaming, they should. Right. And that was, I think, a similar thing recently that um, it's been coming up around the, you know, the Democratic candidate um, discourse where someone was like, well, if Bernie Sanders has to his health record, they all need to show their tax records. I, I don't see a problem with that. If you're going to run a country, you should prove that you have no, no ties to anything. You didn't do tax fraud? Um, right. But that was like someone was like, and it's kind of an interesting equation as to like, you know, what is more personal? Your tax record, I would say, not more personal. That should be public knowledge, honestly. Versus oh, your yeah. health record, which <laughs> everyone was like, well, why does he need to show that? Like, you know. And I mean, really put him through the ringer for it. I've, I, I have not chosen a candidate yet. I guess I should really oh, I'm not even make choosing, choices. I'm not even choosing But, like, just to put anyone through the onus of just saying, here's my medical record. Yeah. It's, it's just... 
I don't know. I mean, I, I also am of the mind of like, okay, so you're going to be running the country. I need to know you're not going to die. Like, <laughs> oh, I think that's fair. It was just the interrogation of the record that got weird. Cause yeah. I'm like, you're not making all of them do it. That is strange. Like it's, sh- it seems like there's, there should be some, like, uh, like if you go in for a managerial position, like you apply, you have to have like job references. You have to have like actually worked at the job. You have to pass a test. You have to do a physical. Like, there's all sorts of things. Right. Like, just to like become a manager at Starbucks, like, or like <laughs> work at like Costco, and those are awesome jobs. Seriously, I'm just saying that right, there right, should be a standardized awesome. like what we do for for people who want to become like the leader of of the United States. That that seems it is, and it's also very profiling. It's like, oh well, Bernie Sanders, you know, he he yells a lot. He probably has high blood pressure. Just making assumptions about how he looks and how he acts. And we can talk about Hillary Clinton in 2016 with her slight stumble and swoon and everyone like she's going to die. She yeah. obviously can't physically handle this. And then Bernie Sanders has a heart attack and it's like, ah, it's fine. All good. <laughs> I mean, right? it's like, it's like, yeah, that level of performance, you know, which is, you know, cut with gender across it, of course. But it's like, you know, you have to appear in this certain level of health, this certain image of health. And I'm like, you obviously don't know how disability can appear or how chronic illness can appear no. or any of this. And how much time do you spend trying to look okay or sound okay so that people take you seriously? Like, I right. spend a tremendous amount of time with, like, the healthiest gazelle in a room full of lions. Like, I'm all good. Don't worry. It's all great. I'm fine. <laughs> like, because yeah. otherwise you get discounted. Like, your opinion gets – and I'm sure anyone who presents as female knows this for a – fact is you better be the healthiest strongest gazelle with no like tremble in your voice because uh, the lions descend and what you said has no bearing if you have emotion or if you're disabled or like you know put anything else underneath that but I mean I spend a tremendous amount of energy trying to appear okay it is it's appear okay and then also especially in professional context for me it's um not only to appear okay but to appear as an adult Mm. To bring it back to that, right? Like, I'm in a yeah. position where I teach college students, and I look younger than most of them. Or I look like I could be one. And I really haven't had massive issues of disrespect, but I'm always ready and kind of prepared. It's always in the back of my mind. Um, so, you know, I go in and I, you know, dress, I think, more professional than I need to to teach college classes because I want to set myself apart. I want to look older. Um, I, you know, spend a lot of time trying to think about, okay, how am I going to say? Am I going to put, you know, this voice on? And, um, you know, I usually make a couple unconscious or conscious, you know, slips to like how old I am just to reassert them, like, oh, I wasn't alive when that, you know, you weren't alive when this happened, or I remember this, but you don't, sort of things. And I'm always doing this performance, and I'm so conscious of it. Um, And for me, I'm just, like, saying, like, well, I need to have this authority in case, because I know what could happen. And there are times when I'm discredited and discounted, you know, students don't listen to me or don't take me seriously, or a lot treat me as their friend, which is weird, um, because you wouldn't do that. Like, you know, my male colleagues don't get that. I mean, I get the other side because I'm now a middle-aged woman and I get the invisibility where it's like, your opinion doesn't matter. You're just a Karen or like, you know, the... Or you're just a mom. Yeah, you're just a mom. What do you know? You're, you're just at home or, you know, my favorite is you're too fat, you're too old, you're too ugly, your opinion doesn't count. 
Twitter's a beautiful place, may I just say. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> highly entertaining. Like, wait, what, what did what did my age or my appearance have to do with my point? Like, what? Yeah. I mean, well, I, I really don't care what you think about how I look or what my age is. Like, none of that is, like, that's accident of birth stuff there. Like, but <laughs> why is my opinion not important anymore? <laughs> I remember one time I was in a Twitter fight with someone about the way they were discussing sexual assault survivors, and I just destroyed their argument, and you could tell they were panicking, and they just replied to me, and they just, they looked at my, my profile picture on Twitter, and they just said, you look pretty sick, you better take some vitamins, and I just said, I don't understand why you think that's an insult, and I'm actually chronically ill. <laughs> I, and everyone, everyone on Twitter was like, yeah, that's not an insult. A nice try, though. I mean, like... Right. <laughs> Not sure what you're going for, but yeah. uh, panic response. You didn't insult me. I don't, you just stated a fact. I probably could take some more vitamins. I'm pretty sick. <laughs> you want to pay for them? I mean, those vitamins are expensive and not covered, so. Yeah. And, I was, and also, like, what I'm also, like, a vitamin is not going to fix these chronic illnesses, trust me. Okay, well, let's talk about that for just a second because we're, you know, infantilizing. And, um, but I cannot tell you how many people have felt like they need a voice in my healthcare. Like, you shouldn't drink wine. You shouldn't eat sugar. Why aren't you taking this CBD mixture, which oddly costs $500 a month. I'm not kidding. Um, but like, but yeah, right. Like, I mean, I haven't been this physically public to people's opinions since I was pregnant or I was a child. But all of a sudden, everyone has, like, an opinion on how I should be living, eating, exercising, because yoga is a great idea if you dislocate, by the way. Fantastic plan. Especially hot yoga. Yeah. I'll, I will absolutely sweat out all those toxins and be better by the end of the class. No problem. Um, not to say if you're EDS that yoga works free. If that does, cheers. Salute. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Great. I need an ambulance. Seriously, I did when I took a yoga class. It was not, I mean, sculpture. It was no longer fitness. Um, but yeah, that's, that's definitely a thing where it's, it's always, why are you doing this? Like everyone becomes like your mom or something like that. Or, um, it's kind of assumed like, I think it speaks to like disabled people as the kind of the charity of the society. Right. So people, yes, people think they're doing like a good thing too. When they tell you that like, Oh, I really care about you. So like, if I, you know, if I, there's one time my friend texted me at like three in the morning and I replied because I was awake and they go, why aren't you, why aren't you sleeping? And I was like, you just texted me at the same time. Like, what are you talking about? Also, none of your business, right? Uh, none of your business. And, and I was like, what? And she's like, you have work in the morning. And I was like, so do you. Like, Thanks, mom. I need sleep all the time. Like, this, I do, but like. <laughs> I mean, I think we're getting to, like, the whole point of all of this, which is the dichotomy of needing to be treated in a special way and also being insulted by being yeah. treated differently. And that is that our autonomy is what's important. What we say we need or want needs to be the end of that. Right. It can't be someone else's, you know, someone else can like lovingly try, I don't know what else. If you want to like lovingly try to tell me what to do, <laughs> I wish you the best. Um, but yeah. if I tell you it doesn't work for me, that needs to be the end of that discussion. Like it's, it's it's hard to because I think it matters on what figure. Like if I say that to my friends, I think they're better understanding of that. They'll know to back off. But if I say it to my parents, it's immediately turns into I'm a mom. I can do whatever I want. Um, I never stop being a parent, and I'm just like, yeah, but no. If you really don't know my body, like I was trying to tell my parents eventually when I when I started therapy for the first time, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go to therapy, and they were like, 
oh, you don't need that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and I was like, I just, I just told you something. I, you know, I didn't have to tell you that. I'm going to do it. I think it would help. That's the end of the story there. Yeah. That's right? it. That's the end of it. I mean, I and, think like parenting has changed this last generation or so of like understanding a child's autonomy. At least that's like starting to be a discussion, which I, I did so. not grow up with that. <laughs> like, no, I'm not experiencing that. Yeah, I, I'm way older than you are, and I did certainly did not have that in the 70s or 80s or 90s when I was growing up with my parents, where, like, I had autonomy, and that was, like, one of my biggest things that I promised myself I would keep in my head with my kids was their autonomy. They are not an extension of me. If they're telling me that something hurts, I take that as fact. If they tell me that they are depressed, that is fact, and we will handle it from there, but, like, yeah, I'm, I'm not smarter yeah. than they are about what's going on in their heads or their bodies. Like, that's... I, I wonder if this is also this this growing you know the growing recognition of child autonomy also kind of speaks to what we said earlier. It's like kids are becoming like adults faster, or at least you know taking on the appearance of adults like through mm. social media and stuff like that. Like I'm amazed at the things my niece you know says to me about like you know she was nine and she like wanted a bra and stuff like this, or she has like social media accounts I don't even have, which is weird to me <laughs> and. <laughs> Right, she's like texting her friends when she was like eight, and I was just like, "What? I didn't even have a phone until I was 16. Um, Right, so as this, you know, as these kids kind of take on um, these more adult roles earlier, it might also kind of force parents to reckon with this, because there's also the argument, which I'm sure you're familiar with, like if you, you know, push your kid too hard, they'll rebel against you. They won't trust you. Hmm. You try to get too much, like finding that balance. I mean, I, I'm not a parenting expert. I, <laughs> I, right. I've just, the only expertise I've had is I've done it for 19 years. So that's, that's, kind of, that's all I've got. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, my brain just went on to stop as I was just like running through like all of the, the stuff with kids. But I remember being a kid and like, no one knew what I had. It took till I was 36 to get diagnosed, which is insane because Everyone's like, you, you're too young to be sick. You're too young to feel like this. There's no way you could be in this much pain. You wouldn't be functioning. And then you find out later that, you know, pain is actually a scalable thing. You get used to things. So, yes, I was dislocating all the time back then. I was in agony. It's just, what else do you do? <laughs> like, I just didn't know how to express. And if you are, you know, especially when you're younger, I mean, I remember you know, having symptoms of depression when I was very younger, and I don't recognize them until now, because mm. I have no idea what's going on, I just thought, maybe this is normal, maybe my body's changing, all these things, and I, you know, didn't communicate them, because there wasn't a kind of culture where it said, like, you should communicate your needs. Yeah. Or, or it's that you even could. Right? Even when I went to doctors, it was like, I got them growing, you know, you're a kid, it's fine. And I'm like, could you just check this out, though? Like, I don't yeah. think I should be feeling this way. I mean, I also yeah. had PTSD from sexual assault, and so, like, having doctors, like, tell me to just sit down and be quiet, yeah. or even, like, in school, like, just going in for tutoring with a male tutor who's lovely, like, he was one of the nicest yeah. teachers who was giving right. up his time, and I couldn't handle it. I would have panic attacks in his classroom, and I was like, it, it was just very different on what, I just was desperate for someone else to live in my brain for a day so that someone else could express what this was actually like, because I couldn't imagine anyone else was going through these things. 
which my smallest talks about all the time is like, why don't people talk about how abnormal their insides are? Like, why don't they talk about how abnormal their thoughts are? Because I feel yeah. so isolated. I feel so lonely and scared. I'm like, it's literally why I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> like, it's yeah. exactly why. It's so what? Right. Yeah. Like why? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the smallest wants to become a therapist because yeah, twelve was like You're be an amazing therapist. That kid is. Um. Yeah. We had a friend who was going through a divorce who was staying with us, and I had to go to the bathroom, and I come back out, and everything I was planning on saying, I come out, and like I think she was like nine at the time, and was like basically doing an entire therapy session with this person. It was unreal. Yeah. The future. The future. I, like, come yeah. on, this this generation is, like, some of the most aware, alert, and compassionate. I know there's still bullies. I know there's still, like, huge problems. There are weeks yeah. But I have to say, like, we weren't, like, I, my class, and we li- we were in the Bay Area, the enclave of, like, liberalism, and yeah. we didn't have this stuff going. Like, there is, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm really hopeful about this generation. There's a lot I love about it. I mean, like I said, I mean, I teach, you know, the youngest I've ever taught, I think, is like a 17-year-old or something like that, like college freshmen come in, they're 17, 18, 19, or whatever like that. Oh my god, that hurts. And I'm, (laughs) jeez, so young. I'm, like, blown away every time. My expectations are always, like, I'm going to have to do all this unpacking, I'm going to have to, you know, make them realize, like, yes, ableism is a problem, you know, all this stuff. And they come in, and it's, like, two weeks into the semester, and I remember we had this huge conversation about, like, the opioid crisis, and Mm. I didn't even go there, and they brought it to, like, they brought it to race, they brought it to class, they brought it to stigma, and I was like, yes, this is everywhere I wanted to go, and you're absolutely slaying it. Man, you know, like, I grew up, like, super, I mean, I wasn't wealthy, but we were privileged, and I grew up in this super liberal area where... I literally did not understand what everyone was talking about until I got to junior high. And then in college, I did a summer bridge program where I got to teach incoming 17, 18 year olds who educated me in ways I will be forever grateful for because all of my privilege got checked at the door (laughs) very quickly. And all of the things I was like, oh, but you know, this, you know, it can be bad, but you can just rise above. And then talking to them, I'm like, no, no, you can't. Something has to change. Like, this is, <laughs> it was such an incredible eye-opening experience. I'm deeply grateful to those students for being patiently um, <laughs> talking me through um, and just learning from them. But I wish that more people would do that for disabled people, like, listen to what our actual experiences are without diminishing them. Like, oh, but you could just go to school online. That's an option, right? You, you don't have to go right. to a campus. You know, why don't you just, like, those words just without being a part of the community, whatever community you're talking about, if you are not a part of that community, the word just needs to be removed. Like, you can't. Right. Um, and I, I love that you brought us there, because I was, which we, we were talking about our education experiences, and I was thinking about, like, um, you know, how different the world would be, oh my gosh, if everyone had considered they have just as much to learn from younger people or from disabled people as we do to teach them. And I think it speaks to this kind of linear idea of how knowledge develops, which is just experience over time. Right. So it's like I'm older, I must know more. So I was getting fights with people, right? Like I have a background in research expertise and military technology. That was one of my research areas. I spent a lot of time thinking about that years of research. People still like to get in arguments with me just because they're older. 
it's like they had like no research experience in this. They weren't in the army, like none, they weren't in the military, none of that. And I'm like, you're literally just basing this off you've been on the planet longer. And Twitter is such a such a dumpster fire. I mean, Twitter is such a <laughs> same thing with disability, where you're like, why would you be an expert on the condition I live with? Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, like. Arguing with people on opioids is probably one of my least favorite experiences. Um, it's one of the most frustrating experiences. And that's why I do videos every once in a while. Of, this is my day without opioids. And I lasted five hours. So that was it. Couldn't do it. So I did another video on this is my day with op opioids because I want people to understand that there's <laughs> the majority of us on opioids. We are we are just doing the regular stuff. Like we are just trying to get up and feed our pets, feed our kids, like, or, you know, just do basic sit and like type out an email. None of this is possible without my opioids. I can't do any of it without like, I, I curl up in bed and cry. That's it. Like that's yeah. all. I have no personality without it. So it's like, it's just really important to like have that discussion with the community as exhausting as that is, because a lot of the community is like, you're an opioids, you're obviously a drug addict, you obviously are this, and then there's all of the um, misinformation of what drug addict is and what that yeah. could mean or what it could be. There's all this judgment around something that is such a medical issue that is um, being treated morally instead of medically and scientifically. It's any sort of dependence translates yeah. to an addiction. I and <laughs> and the second you have an addiction, it's like an ear villainized. You know, and there was just that right. study done where yeah. the guy, um, there's that whole rat study of like the rat will just keep, you know, until it dies. And it's like, okay, but the rat was in a horrible environment when they did rat park, yeah. which was like heaven for rats. It was recreational mm -hmm. and almost never. It's like, okay, so we've created a society that's, you know, <laughs> human hell, <laughs> like dystopia. Yeah. And right. we're getting mad at people. We're creating this, this horrible situation where people have to run from their daily lives and there's no pressure valve release. And when they find a pressure valve release, everyone gets upset and demonizes them instead of creating a better society and handling the physical and the emotional aspect of the addiction through medicine, through science, instead of through, yeah. you know, moral standings. I mean, I think we can make a similar argument with, with many things that are kind of villainized or cast off as excessive. So I'm thinking about um, the arguments is like, you know, why do you spend so much time online? Why are you such a social media addict? And I'm like, is it me or is it the fact that I live in hell and I need an escape from that? Mm. Like, did you ever think that? Right? So it's often, they do this too with youth a lot too. It's like, oh, my kid just sits on the internet all day. And I'm like, yeah, that's because they can't be gay anywhere else in the world. And they finally found acceptance online. Oh, my God. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> going back to, like, how hard it is to be a kid, they basically yeah. go into a, you know, if they're in a regular school, they're going into a place where being hit, being bullied, all the things that someone would be arrested for or thrown into HR for major training for if you were in a job is considered expected. And then they have a different boss, i.e. teacher, every hour and constant changing social situations and everything. If you think about how like stressful it is to move departments, remember what it's like when you move departments every hour. Like this is stressful and they don't have a pressure release valve that anyone's agreed to as acceptable. So the thing that they find to just zone out, like, you know what we all do when we get home from like stress, everyone gets mad at yeah. them for doing. Right. Now, that, that stuff drives yes. me up a wall and back down again. Like, <laughs> everyone gets mad at me because I, I do allow my kids to be on 
the internet quite a bit. I allow tablet use a lot. But what my kid is doing is creating a graphic novel and animations and yeah. reading webtoons, which thank you so much, my youngest, because I am addicted to webtoons. That has become a problem. Oh, those are those are really good. Um, but yeah, it's just it's amazing how we we take those those comforts away. That immense kind of regulation, which I think we can see also in disabled life, where you know even if our bodies are predictable, a lot of them have these kind of um, these routines, mm. right? I have to do these things every single day. Like um, there's a hashtag right now on Twitter about like crip ritual. No way! I'm gonna check that out. <laughs> Right? It's like, yeah, like, what do you need to do every day to, like, keep in check? Um, so whereas kids are kind of forced into this, like, regulation of, like, you know, you go to school, you have to eat lunch at, like, 11 in the morning, hmm. and lunch is, like, chocolate milk and pizza, because everyone eats that at 11 in the morning, and then, <laughs> right, and then you have to go through your day, you know, you have science for 40 minutes, math for 40 minutes, you know, et cetera. Um, so they're forced into that, and they never really get a chance to break out of that. Right. Or have their medications. They can't have their medications on them. So you have to hope that you're... Right. Yeah. My, yeah. Uh, like, just with PE, like, can they run? Maybe they can't. Maybe they need their inhaler. Well, they can't have their inhaler with them. So you have to hope that the yeah. PE teacher is nice enough to let them go to the office and get their inhaler. Otherwise, right. you will hear the news story at least once or twice a year of a kid dying because they were not taken seriously. Which, you know, guess how many of us with chronic illness die because we don't get taken yeah. seriously. <laughs> and I think like, that's a part of it, right? Like, if you have chronic illness, you know what you need every day. Yeah. You know you need to follow, like, you know, I'm going to call it our crib ritual. You need to follow that. And I'm thinking, too, of, you know, those people say things like, oh, why don't you just come to this event? Why don't you take night classes? And I'm like, you don't understand. My body has a routine. And if I don't follow it, my body doesn't work. Hmm. Right? Like, you yeah. know, like when people are like, oh, you know, could I just come over? Could I just do I'm like, no. <laughs> right? I'm just like, no, you can't do that. You know, I. I you want spontaneity. Like, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> like, yeah, just the, um, I was reading this women's magazine, um, I still hate that they're called women's magazines, it's like, but there's, you know, 20 minute recipes, I'm in, like, tell me how to make dinner in an Instapot in 20 minutes, I'll deal with the rest of the BS, but it was like, straight out of 1962, and it was like, do you want to have a house organized enough that if a neighbor stops by, it's not a big deal, and like, the neighbor stops by and they didn't bring their own cleaning supplies to clean my house, they've got jack shit to say about my house, like, Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. Yeah. But when I go into um, the pain clinic, the I mean, I can't tell if it's being treated like a child or being treated like a drug addict, but it's pretty close on both ways. Um, and my pain clinic is pretty awesome, but I get drug tested. I've never tested mm -hmm. positive for anything ever. And they've tested me every two times uh, for five years. And they still test me. Wow every two times and my insurance won't cover it and it's a $600 test and then there's yeah. just all these questions that's like okay I like I'm not supposed to drink wine it's like but a glass a week will not interact that badly with like there's no understanding of like I'm an adult I can moderate you know yeah. if I didn't moderate you take a test every yeah. few weeks to see that I'm not moderate. like it's it's just this crazy yeah. and thing it makes you don't and if you don't, that's your choice. It's your body. Yeah, and with this 
crisis of freak out, it's no longer my body. Yeah. Now um, I am subject to a lot of discussion and having yeah. to prove myself over and over and over again very expensively. And again, mm-hmm. it's another drive that has to be made 45 minutes each way. Yeah. I do. And I'm, I'm thinking about all the stories now you hear. Like, so many people don't know you have the right to ignore a doctor's orders. So many people just don't even consider that, like, being an option, right? It's just do what the doctor says or else. Even though doctors have given me bad orders before. Yeah, unless you're more. doing There's opioids, in which case, if you are not following doctor's orders, they can put you on a list and you'll be removed from opioids. But you're right. Like, yeah, you can go AMA. Yeah, There's consequences, exactly. but you can yeah. go AMA. Right, and, like, that's the that's the slippery line, too. It's like doctors have this power over us. It's like... Um, you know, it's like there's no negotiation, there's no arguing, there's no listening to any kind of differences or whatnot. No, and it's if you bring in your own research, you're listening to Dr. Google and, like, yeah. my medical degree means more than your research. It's like, mm, how many hours did you spend on my disorder? Like, in your school. Yeah, how many times have you lived with it? Yeah. I live with it. If you tell me this helps and it doesn't help, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And then, if you're living in a metropolitan area, you can at least switch doctors if you're, um, let's go with endometriosis for one second, because I think this is probably one of the the biggest underlying cases for this being treated like a child with your chronic illness. Um, Many people don't know that doctors will often refuse. And by often, I mean, I've never heard of anyone of any of my friends or research that has not been denied at least once or twice for hysterectomy. So people with uteruses who have endometriosis, they often get denied without a man's signature (laughs) Um, or that they've had a certain amount of children or that they're over 40. They're just made to suffer because of some possible child that they may or may not want in the future. They're not old enough to make their own own choices on their health or, you know, just, you know, somebody just wants to have a hysterectomy and make their own childbearing decisions. You know, that's just not allowed for someone who has a uterus. I did. And I read something about this recently where a woman was trying to get a hysterectomy and I don't think she, she didn't have endometriosis, but she goes and she went to the clinic or whatnot and they said, you need your husband's signature. And mm-hmm. she said, is that the law? And they said, no, but it's their policy. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's pretty much the law. I'm not going to get it if not. Yeah. And, and then follow- that was all over Twitter and everyone's like, go to a different OB. And it's like, um, There are few gynecologists, by the way. Like, that's not an option. If Like, there's states where there's only two in the entire state. Like, this is nuts. Yeah. And so there's, like, all these people are like, well, I got one with no problem. Like, just because it's not a problem for you (laughs) does not mean that others aren't suffering. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Um, Yeah. Definitely want to bring that one forward. (laughs) Right. That that was one of those ones I was just like, I'm sorry, so you're basically having your organs fused to your spine, to other organs, and the concern is a future being that has not even been thought of yet. That's more important than your physical health, safety, and comfort? Like, mind blown. Like, wow, how are we treated like this? And then with mental health, it's even worse. There's just, once you're diagnosed, it becomes so difficult to assert yourself as a decision maker in your own care. Yeah. And I've kidnapped you for over an hour, and I promised you I would not kidnap you for an hour. <laughs> so okay. I was sorry. About to, I was about to interrupt. Um, but I did want to make a point, too, about the mental health that 
I think this is one of the vindictive thing. The vindictive. The vindictive things is it's not only that you know, in, you know, if you have a mental health issue or you're disabled in another way, that these people, um, you know, medical professionals treat you in a way that you're a child and you can't make decisions. They actually convince that you can't make decisions. Yeah, and that's where it perpetuates. Where you know. Um, I remember when I got diagnosed with depression the first time, you know, we sat there for a very long time. Um, and he just kind of said like all the things that are wrong with me by never asking actually, you know, what is, you know, what's going on. And by the end of it, I was like, wow, I'm pretty messed up. Better just, you know, take these pills, better just do this, you know? Like, I was just like, you just totally, you know, manipulated me into just doing everything you said. It's so easy to do. I mean, like I freeze with white coats, but my therapist after I'd been um, sexually assaulted when I was a teenager was like, okay, you're depressed. Um, We're just going to give you these pills. And I was like, but (laughs) isn't that kind of a a normal reaction to sexual assault? Like, shouldn't I be depressed and anxious and scared and stressed? Like, shouldn't we be exploring how to handle that rather like just for me personally and what my own care needed to be at that time? Like I decided not to. Um, but it was just so interesting that there was like this, you need to make everyone else around your life comfortable when you're trying to deal with your mental and physical health. Everyone else needs to feel better. And part of that is feeling like we've all got this by you medicating. And for me, that was not the answer, but it was really interesting that it was like, you're a teenager. You obviously have no idea what you want or need. And, and that's the narrative about teenagers. You're confused. You don't know, right? It speaks to also... I do need to go because I have to call Ah, so sorry. Yes, I, I'm so, so sorry. It, it, it speaks to the argument right now also around child sexuality or teenage sexuality and gender identity. Yes. Oh, it's just a phase. And you're like, this? No, just shut up. <laughs> um, a kid who's very close to us is, is um, right now just asking some very big questions. And I can't tell you how many people in my life who are adults are like, it's really dangerous to label at that age. And like, if that same child told you that she was this gender that she was born as and had a crush on a boy, you'd be like, oh, okay. Uh, how's that not labeling? Like, or, or kids are like six and they're like, I'm going to be a lawyer. Are you going to be like, that's labeling? Excuse yeah, me. no, sorry, you can't. No, yeah. you're, you're a boy and you're climbing trees. That's labeling. Like, it's so, yeah. it, like, it's so crazy that we're so, as adults, invested in, like, what they're going to be. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm keeping kidnapping you. I will let you go. I will release. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, no, you're great. You have to talk to you. I could talk to you all day. All right. Well, I will let you go. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, let me know if you ever want to talk again. Anytime. My God. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Are you kidding? Does the desperation and loneliness show? <laughs> no, no. You're great. You're great. You stop. It's not a pity. It's like a desire. <laughs> Excellent. Well, come back to me with another topic and I'm in. That sounds All great. Right. Or just like call me and talk about robots. I'm in for that too. I know. This is a competition. <laughs> Please. All right. Well, everyone have a great week. Be kind. Be gentle. Be a badass. Head over to our Patreon if you can and are able. If you want to but you can't afford to just spend a few minutes sharing our episodes really appreciate we just hit like over 170,000 downloads so thank you I know right oh my god um and welcome to everyone new who's listening so please keep sharing that's incredibly kind and generous of you all so have a great week and uh yeah that be a badass thing super important this week everyone be a badass and uh wash your hands and get vaccines if you can like this is important right now (laughs) Please wash your hands. No joke. And if you are not immune deficient, you can vaccine. Vaccine.